You're listening to Thrive, where every week we have meaningful conversations with incredible women like you, packed with practical tips and sisterly advice to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. We're shaking the story that you're just getting by and stepping into who God made you to be. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. I'm your host, Erica Gwynn, and I'm ready to thrive together. Here's today's episode. Hey friends, welcome to Thrive. If you're a mom or if you know a mom, you probably get that motherhood and mental health are a whole thing, and it's not talked about nearly enough. So today, my friend Rachel and I are breaking down postpartum depression and anxiety. Although, no trigger warnings because honestly, it's a conversation we believe all moms should have ASAP. If you're a mama, this one's for you. Licensed therapist, author, and speaker Rachel Elmore pulls back the curtain on real mom life in such a beautiful, vulnerable way that'll have you thinking, ah, so I'm not crazy and I'm not alone. In this episode, we talk all about mental health in motherhood, and we also break down phrases like, oh, you only have 18 summers with your kids. Stay tuned through this episode, drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to, and now welcome Rachel. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks, Erica. I know. I feel like we could have kept talking and talking and talking before we hit record. So we had to be like, wait a minute, pause. <laughs> Let's start, right. the co- start the official conversation before we jump right into the good stuff. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. We are both in our mama eras. So many of our listeners and friends are as well, I'm sure. And I won't even say, I think, I know that for many of us, we can really get stuck in survival mode as moms. Really, I probably, we feel like we're barely surviving sometimes, definitely not thriving. And we want to change that, right? I mean, this Mm -hmm. is like the Thrive podcast after all. So we deserve to be thriving in our mom eras. So I know my goal today is for this to feel kind of like a big fat mama hug because moms Mm -hmm. always give the best hugs, right? So like, I feel like this is going to be our mama hug to each other, to our listeners, so that we can all finally be thriving in our mama eras together. <laughs> right on. Giddy up. I'm so in for just some girl talk and just to love on each other and for this episode to be just that big hug because that's always what I want. Yeah. I wish I could send everyone a hug, but I can virtually today and we can together. So that's super cool. Right. And we always feel like we have to be the strong ones as the moms mm-hmm. where like we don't get to let it all out until we go hide in a bathroom or in our closet and shut the door and then it all comes out and we're like, man, I really need a hug right now. Right. So this can be that. This can be that. Love it. Without further ado then, tell everybody who you are because you are super cool and so on top of it as a mom, but also as a whole bunch of other things. So give us the lowdown on Rachel. Yeah, you got it. So um, I'm Rachel. I'm a mother of two. I'm a licensed therapist of many, many, many years. I am in practice in Charlotte, North Carolina. A couple of years ago, I applied for a book competition with the nonetheless other than the great Lisa Turkhurst. Um, I got into the program and I was one of two winners that won a book contract with HarperCollins Publishing, which is the fourth largest publisher in the world. And so it's been a little bit of a whirlwind. I went from being just a therapist uh, to an author and a speaker and and all of those things. And so very quickly, my life changed. Love being a therapist, but a little bit about 
why I wrote the book that I wrote. Um, right after I had my first baby, I was already a pretty established licensed therapist. I had my own practice. Um, I felt like I knew motherhood was going to be hard, Erica. Like I knew it, yet I didn't. And so I had some pretty bad postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And very, th I'm very thankful for the fact that I'm a therapist and I knew what it was when it started happening. And I was able to make some phone calls and go ahead and get in some treatment. And look, postpartum depression, as we talk about it, I always say we're sisters, we're not twins. So everyone's experience is different. And I believe all new moms struggle, which is why, I, excuse me, which is why I wrote the book that I did, which is a mom is born. But I'm so passionate because there wasn't anything out there for me. So I even went to a few therapists that were like, yeah, we don't know how to help you. And I just decided that wasn't a good enough answer. And so I've spent the last decade coming up with a treatment plan and I've treated, you know, thousands of women in my career and I've watched them get better. And so to be able to take my heart song, which is this treatment plan where I marry my own experience of what it was like to have some postpartum, some, um, baby blues, things like that. I was able to marry that with my clinical knowledge and just my faith, which is such a big, I just, I keep saying like a trifecta that comes together. And no, it's rare to say this in the publishing world, but this book has never been done before. And, you know, the really, they, they always say there's no new idea under the sun, but for this, this was really a neat and novel idea, which is is why the my publisher jumped right on it and thought, wow, this is this is really something that needs to get in the hands of of all moms. And I've I've spoken at two events this week, and it's been so like humbling to have people come in that people that drove like a couple of hours to meet me and have me sign their book and tell me about how I've helped them, you know, even in really dark moments, especially as a new mom. I mean, that's why I wrote this book. Is so I could give women the help that really wasn't there for me, that I had to be scrappy and figure it all out on my own. So that's a little bit about me in the book. It's been very exciting. And obviously you can tell I like drip with passion about this because I'm just, I don't want any mom out there to feel alone. If you're listening and you feel like there's something wrong with you or broken, I promise you are not the only one. And we are here for you to, uh, to offer that support and that encouragement. Yeah, for real, real. Okay. I love that you brought up PPD right off the bat because I was going to save this until later, but like, we're just ripping off the bandaid. We're going there because everyone needs it anyway. Can we pull back the curtain a bit on what PPD and or PPA actually looks like and feels like in reality? Because I feel like what ends up happening for so many of us is we go to our six week postpartum appointment Mm -hmm. And they hand you a questionnaire that asks if you, you know, if you've thought of harming your baby or thought of harming yourself and it can feel really severe. <laughs> and of course, like, of course, not to make light of it at all, that may be a very sad and difficult reality for some mamas. But I think for many of us, it can end up, we might end up writing off our own experiences or mm -hmm. our symptoms are not even really paying them much heed because they don't feel as intense as that. And they kind of get glossed over or missed or unaddressed because we're like, well, I'm, I'm not that bad. So I'm, it, I'll just get over it. Right. And I feel like that's not, we kind of miss like, wait, is this postpartum depression? Is this just the baby blues? Like, am I just having a tough time because being a mom is tough or is this something that's, you know, requires treatment, treatment of some sort or what have you? Oh yeah. And like, and with that, I think, 
what you said, you hit the nail on the head so much because I do feel like we get that questionnaire. We're like, well, I'm not there right now. Also, a lot of times postpartum doesn't show up that soon. Like a lot of times it sets in. I've had moms come to me with babies that are six, nine months old. And they're like, I think it's hitting me now. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I always like to say, it's not like it's an immediate onset. It can be for some, for me, it was quick. So it was about three weeks after I gave birth, but postpartum depression and anxiety, it varies like it's on a spectrum. And so some people do have, and those symptoms of like, and, and I, I do always have to say on every podcast, if anyone's having any thoughts of hurting themselves or anything like that, the next stop is we'll finish this podcast later is, is to call um, your healthcare provider. But with that, that's more of actually postpartum psychosis, those symptoms. And we're not talking about that today. What we're talking about are baby blues, postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And some of that is just, it looks different. Some of it is just the fear of going to sleep because you're just so scared. I don't want to be triggering of like your baby stopping breathing or fear of holding your baby while they're crying. Or um, it could be, and this is the anxiety side, just like that constant worry. The depression side is it's similar to just clinical depression in that like I didn't have anything to look forward to things that used to make me smile like Oreos or s'mores or thinking about Christmas or I'm such a summer girl. Like I love, I live in the water. I have two boys and we love the lake. We love the ocean. Like nothing made me smile. And even like the funniest stories from some of my closest friends, if like my husband would be like, you remember that time that this happened, things that would like make me belly laugh every time weren't making me laugh. And I just wasn't smiling. I wasn't laughing. And I always like to say it's a very simplified view, but the difference between the baby blues, which really they say all new moms have, even adoptive moms go through some baby blues, but the difference between baby blues and like something more of like a diagnosis is severity and how long it lasts. So anything that lasts longer than about two weeks and you're feeling like you're crying all the time, you're feeling like your fuse is that short, that does get to the point. It's like, yeah, maybe it is time to to reach out to a friend to talk to someone like me or talk to your doctor or something like that. Because the the difference, the, the symptoms are the same. It's just the severity and the fact that those symptoms can stick around. Baby blues wears off. Postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, they stick around unless we do something about it. So And please hear me. I've never not seen a mom get better. And Erica, I would love to just like toot my own horn here and be like, I'm that great of a therapist. Like, I would love to be like, I'm like the world's best therapist. (laughs) But it's really like I had to learn for myself. I had to walk through it myself. And it's a lot of the work that like just God has helped me get in order to help the women that sit on this couch right behind me. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard a counselor say this one time and I was like, you know what? This hits the nail on the head where sometimes it's not just hormonal either. And sometimes it can be because your own needs aren't being met or because of the actual chain. Like, I think sometimes we kind of compartmentalize it where it's like, oh, it's either entirely because of your hormonal shift or it's not. And if it's not, we're like, well, is it that? Because I always thought depression was a hormonal shift or just whatever. There's so many different stories out there, but I think it can kind of be a combination of the two. Sometimes your hormones changing, your lifestyle changing, you're totally sleep deprived. You're probably not drinking enough water. Like there's so much going on with your body. You have this pressure on yourself to take care of this new little human. Maybe your own needs aren't being met or you need more help around the house or you need more help with the baby or you, you, maybe you gave up part of your job because you're taking care. And there's just so, there's just so much, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it is a lot. And I feel like we don't necessarily 
think of it that way in the moment where we have someone lay it out and go, listen, let me paint the picture for you of what your life actually looks like now and how much change so quickly from a physiological standpoint, physically, mentally, emotionally, literally all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's such a good point. Cause, and, and I got into a little bit of a debate. I got trolled pretty hard for a post I put up about uh, a, a mom that used a surrogate that had some postpartum depression. They're like, Oh, that's not possible. And I was like, yes, it is friendo. It absolutely is. And so yes, the hormones don't really help with the postpartum, at least um, some of the, the massive dumping of hormones that happens right after we give birth, the human body actually never goes through a more drastic change from the cellular level than the moment you give birth. And so, yeah, the hormones, yeah, they, they definitely can worsen and, and complicate things, but it's not just hormonal. It's not just your identity that's changed. It's kind of a combination of a lot of them. It's obviously being sleep deprived, but it is this, like your mind isn't getting what it wants. Your body, it doesn't always get what it needs. And we have to hit all of like your hierarchy of needs in order to, I don't want to say fix it, but fix it. And so it just like with, with so many things with, with any sort of um, mental struggle or, or mental illness, you know, that mind body spirit connection is pretty important for us to be able to say, let's, let's hit all three. Let's take care of all three. And we start with the body. Like I've got to get a mama sleeping, you know, and I know a lot of you might be rolling your eyes out there and that's totally okay. But that's, you know, it's kind of rule number one is we get you hydrated and we work on taking care of your body. But yes, it's not, if it's not the hormones, it still can happen. Absolutely. You mentioned um, the hierarchy of needs. And I know this is something big in your book um, with your postpartum wellness plan. Mm -hmm. So can we kind of toot your own horn a little bit on this too, and give us the cliff notes version of what this sort of plan or thinking of your needs again, or also as a new mama, what that practically looks like. Cause like you said, I'm sure we're getting eye rolls of people being like, yep. Okay, sure. Realistically, it's not going to happen which might be true sometimes. And I mean, Hey, we're recording this. I have a three month old. So I totally, totally <laughs> feel you. Like, especially in the very beginning, you kind of know you're not going to get a full night's sleep for a hot minute. It's you figure out how to make it work. But then what do you think that looks like mom to mom as like a, okay, we get it. We all know what's actually happening here. We're not just going to be like, sure, sleep where the baby sleeps and you'll be fine. But we still want to hit our needs as best as possible just to be like, as top-notch as we can be. Yeah. So there's a chapter in my book that it's a new mom wellness plan. And it's the one I came up with for myself for my second pregnancy that I started to use with clients. So it was like, okay, and, and how I, if you ever took a psych course, you learned about Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And basically the theory is, and it's very true, that you can't uh, meet someone's needs about like feeling really fulfilled at work if they're starving to death. Uh, and so there's this pyramid and this hierarchy that, and I, I cite it in my book that you just continue to move up the hierarchy. So the bottom is physical needs, which is, you know, food, sleep, you know, just the basic physical needs, not being in pain. And then we move to the next one, which is safety. And so safety these days, it's not typically, we're not afraid of being like attacked by a bear, like maybe a thousand years ago. Really what we're worried about things are like financial security. Uh, we can't worry about 
if our friends are mad at us, if our whole basement is flooded, like those are the kinds of things that come in with the safety. And so, and then above safety is that social need. And so, and again, we move up the hierarchy and the last one is self-actualization. And I believe that's where we just really find purpose in life. A lot of people have different theories of what Maslow meant by self-actualization. Basically, it's just finding meaning in life. And for me, it's definitely, for me, a spiritual thing, more of a God thing. And so when you look at it like that, like you're like, no doy, Rachel, I need to sleep. I get it. It's, it's more of saying, hey, you can't worry about these needs until we address these. And I really explain these days what those needs look like because our social needs are met differently today than they were even 20 years ago. And so just trying to encourage moms to fill out that plan. It is one of my favorite chapters of the book. I mean, people are just like, oh my gosh, every every diaper bag needs this with every new mom. And I really think they do of just a plan to say, this is what we're going to do for when triggering thoughts come up and really you fill it out. And the cool thing is in the book, I actually printed mine, which was very vulnerable, but it's the one that we use of exactly like, these are the thoughts that are going to be triggering it. And these are what I need to do. If these thoughts or these situations arise, if I don't get six hours of sleep straight, um, in like a week long period, that's going to be bad. I'm not going to be in a good mental space because I just learned I don't get a full sleep cycle in if, and at that point, it was like making sure that 2 a.m. feeding, I remember my husband, Mitch, would take that so that I could at least get like a four-hour stretch. And so really, yes, we have needs, but it's so powerful to really identify them. And I'm actually tell you exactly what to do. It's a very basic formula. It's like A plus B equals happy mommy. And what you do is you just start somewhere and that might be 15 minutes more of sleep a night or one more glass of water. And every step is a step in the right direction. That's going to lead towards emotional health for mama. And that's what it's all about. And I think too, going off of that, we all have like the core need that almost is like, that's the drop in the bucket for us. That's going to be make or break. Cause I know for me, like the second I start slipping on too much, not enough sleep, that was, that was going to be my trigger point where I was like, all right, um, today's a day where I am exhausted. Do not push my buttons. Yes. <laughs> like that's going to be the thing. Whereas for some people, it might be like, you're super sensitive. If you don't have enough water, you're super sensitive for this me not being met or whatever. And for me too, it was always an emotional thing, a, a connectivity thing with my husband, where I was like, mm. the second I started feeling like I wasn't being fully understood that was going to be like, that was going to push me over the edge where I was like, you don't get that I'm all alone in this and this is terrible. Like that was going to be the thing where even if then on the flip side, even if I was super tired, as long as I felt like my husband like saw me and got it and was like, I feel, I see you. I understand this is so hard for you. I was like, okay, I can get through this. Like I've got that. He sees me, he gets it. We're in it together. I'm not all alone. And it was like that isolation piece was like super mm. important for me. So I feel like it's probably maybe maybe a little bit different for everyone, but also nobody wants to feel alone in this, in this journey. No, they don't. There's so much truth in that. And that we're all just so different with where, I mean, you know, it's been proven that genetically some people do better with less sleep or like function. Well, I do not, I get nope. nauseous, I get headaches. And so that was obviously a big struggle with, um, with having new babies, but once I figured that out, I came up with a plan. And so, yeah. and, 
and just like, okay, well, either I need to be able to pump or we, we did breastfeeding did not go well for me. Unfortunately, I think obviously fed is best, but breast is best if you can, but breastfeeding didn't work. So we were able to do a bottle at that when feeding. And it was just that simple thing of like husbands, my husband has this supernatural ability. He falls asleep like that. He can just mine. I wish I would give like, I don't know how much money I would give a lot of money, Erica, if I could just fall asleep like that. The problem is by the time I'd fall back asleep, I would hear the monitor go off. The baby was Uh awake for another feeding. And so he would do that 2 a.m. feeding because he would just go right back to sleep. And it was just like, let's use our gift sets and our superpowers together. It's just this, it's this beautiful thing when you can do that with your partner and say, let's just figure out how we can do this well together. Yep. God made man and woman differently for a reason there. They compliment us. (laughs) I'm thankful for it too. Right. Right. Well, speaking chronologically here, I also love the title of a mom is born because I feel like we forget to give ourselves grace that we are also figuring out motherhood, especially Mm -hmm. when you first become a mama. It's like everyone puts all of this emphasis on the baby being born. And I read the title of your book and I was like, wow, wait, that's so true. Like you're not a mom until you have that first moment. And that's, it it sounds silly to even say it out loud because people might be like, no, duh, but it's really true where like you're, you don't truly know what that feels like until they all of a sudden hand you your baby and you're like, you are now this person's mother. So what are maybe like three or five or however many things you wish you knew when you first became a mom or things that you think like every single mom should know if you were handing her a survival guide to herself with that new baby? Cause we all see all the different like baby manuals of how to, how to do them. But what are like those top, top keys for this is how to do you in this new time? Well, I think we are handpicked by God. And I think we all mother a little bit differently. And as I think about the, I have lots of groups of mom friends and it's taken me a long time to get them, but I have moms and we all mother a little differently and that's okay. And maybe that's, maybe we mother differently because God gave us that child particularly. And I, so I'm, since I'm a licensed therapist, I wonder sometimes my poor kid, you both, my poor kids both have a, a counselor for a mom and I kind of feel bad for them, but maybe they need a mom that really understands things like that. My older son, he's finally talking with me talking about this, but he's a little anxious. Well, guess what? Mommy totally understands that. And I'm able to walk him through test anxiety. He just started the sixth grade and now, you know, tests have gotten very scary and I can be like, all right, that's cool. Let's talk about all these skills. And so we all mother differently. I kind of wish I realized that I didn't have to be exactly like my mom or my mother-in-law who are, by the way, both amazing mothers. They're very different, but they're amazing mothers. And that like, I have spent, and I always say this very cautiously that I don't, I never want to ruffle feathers, but I also sometimes ruffle feathers that early in my career, part of being a therapist is you spend years working for free and doing internships. And typically, you know, I worked in psych boards. I worked in schools. I I did in-home therapy in very, very rough parts of town. And that, you know, my parents, their first home was a single wide trailer. They bought for a thousand dollars. I come from nothing. I come from very, you know, meager means. So please don't hear, please hear me that none of this has to do with wealth, but I have worked with bad moms. I've worked with many bad moms. I've worked with moms that um, were totally uh, fine with their choices, moms that didn't feed their kids, moms that 
didn't take their kids to well checkups, moms that didn't make sure they brushed their teeth at all, moms that sent their kids to school dirty and hungry. They didn't kiss them goodnight. They didn't calm them when they had a nightmare. And I sat across from this bad mom one time who had failed her narcotic screen, I think for the fourth time. And so she was losing her housing. And I sat with my clipboard in hand, you know, I'm giving her this and my job is to help her like connect her in this moment to other resources to make sure she's not homeless. She's like, okay. And she was pregnant with her fourth child. She was smoking and she was fine with her choices. She slept great at night and it hit me like I mean, like a bomb went off and I realized, wow, bad moms don't worry about being bad moms. They sleep great at night. Good moms do that. And so the fact that you're like listening to a podcast about motherhood, the fact you like pick up my book, the, the fact that you download um, a podcast on parenting, it probably means you're pretty good darn mom. And so I just refuse to believe that I have to live my life in a way of like, oh, I'm a terrible mother or, oh, I like living in this place of mom guilt, I think is absolute yeah. garbage. Yeah. So that's probably one of my like most passionate points that I like to really hammer in. If I could go back, I wish I'd just known that going into motherhood of just, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job. Could I work on some things? Yes. But when I realized A plus motherhood was impossible, B plus started to feel awesome. Yeah, that's so true. I said this before on something on social media and I was like shocked at the amount, shocked in the moment, but looking back, I'm like, wow, it's not shocking at all. Cause we all feel this where I'm like, you know what? Being a mom is hard and every single stage is hard. Like newborn stage. It's hard. Toddlerhood. It's hard. Preschool, hard mother, like middle school, hard high school, hard, but it's hard because we care. It, if it doesn't mm. feel hard to you, it's because you don't, you don't care. So it's hard because you have your whole heart and soul living outside of you and you care about showing up the best possible way for your kid. And you care about being there for them. And you care about you. You're afraid of messing them up, even though, I mean, we all mess them up in some way. We'll all end up in therapy in some way, shape or form, but it's because you care that it feels so hard. And that in and of itself makes you a good mom because you care about your kid. And you, like you said, you pressed pause on a parenting podcast, like, hello, good for you. There's how, there's a lot of people that don't do that or that don't care about parenting books or just think like, you know what? I got it unlocked. I totally got this. I already know everything. The fact that you can sit there and be like, you know what? I don't know everything. I want to be better. I want to try, try different things. I'm open to new ideas. I just want to, I just want to be there for my kids. I want to connect with my kids. I want to do whatever, like you're a good mom, pat on the back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, bad moms, they, they don't worry about it. It's fascinating. Yeah. They really, the, the level to which like now, like I lie awake at night and worry, have we put our children in the right schools? Are we being too hard on them with their expectations? Should we pay for grades? Should we not pay for grades? Like we're in that phase right now. Um, am I reading enough to my younger son? Like the fact I'm laying awake at night thinking about these things probably means I'm a pretty good mom. And when I say that to myself, it's like, then I can finally go to sleep. And have some peace to be like, you know, you know, God show me where I need to work on things. And yeah, I've had to work on not yelling or certain things. And yeah, hey, and there are times to raise our voices, people. Okay. I'm not a gentle parenting expert. I'm not. I do like a lot of grace, but I do think there's times to to hold our kids some boundaries. But with that being said, I just I love what you had to say there too. The fact that we care, it means we're on a pretty good road, pretty good path there. 
Yeah. Sometimes I I think that's like the one thing that I would go back and tell myself if I had to narrow it down to one thing. It's mm-hmm. like, that's it. It's like every single moment that you end up trying to sneak into the bathroom to shed some tears or whatever, because you're just at your wits end. Like, what am I doing wrong? It's like, you might not actually be do maybe you are but like at the core you're not doing anything wrong as a mom you might be messing up like a strategy or whatever like that's all stuff that's learnable and teachable and you can figure things out as you go and you'll evolve 32 32 more times on this journey or in this week but it's like you care and that's god put that Mm -hmm. on your heart and put this child in your life because you care about them in a way that is very unique and special for exactly what they need and that's that is like the thing to remind yourself when you're having the hardest, the hardest time. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, the, the other thing that I, I always love to quote that um, there are, there is no way to be a perfect mother, but there are literally millions of ways to be a really good one and just yeah. kind of letting that sink in. And I talk a lot about there's a chapter in my book about my mother's mistakes because I, my mom's a saint. I mean, she's such an amazing, I was raised by a single mother. She's an amazing woman, still is very wise. I don't think she made many mistakes, but one of the mistakes, quote unquote, that you could say maybe she made was she let me sleep in her room after my dad left. And I was probably like, I don't know, eight, seven, eight years old. And some people might say, oh, that's too old. That's you're teaching, you know, there are counselors out there that would say that you're fostering codependence or you're not having appropriate boundaries. But she knew during that season, like I was sad, I was scared. And in those moments, I remember like getting in her bed and her scratching my back while I'd go to sleep. And I think those moments made me the therapist that I am because tears don't bother me. Like I, now I don't, I sometimes wish I could just hold my clients and scratch their back. Obviously I can't, I don't, but it gave me so much love and empathy. And so in her quote mistake, she made me who I am because God uses all things, even our mistakes in motherhood. God can use even those to make your child exactly who they're supposed to be and to lay out their path. And when I realized that, that has freed me. Not that I don't need to work on my motherhood, but man, that was very, like gave me a lot of peace in my, in my heart. Yeah. That really, you can't mess them up. Quote, Mm. end quote. Like Mm. it's all, it'll all come back together. It's kind of the same way that like God uses any of our own messes to become our message for other people. He's going to do the same thing for your kids. So it's all going to be, it's all going to be on purpose for his purpose And who do we think we are that we have that much power (laughs) to like royally screw them up so much that God cannot fix it? Like it is, there will be so many things that in hindsight, we look at and we go like, coulda, shoulda, woulda, but like, okay, God's Mm -hmm. still bigger. He's still better. He's still gonna, he's still gonna mend it all and do, do something with it that he wouldn't have been able to do if we hadn't, you know, done the thing that, like you said, that we thought at the Mm -hmm. moment was a mistake. It's, it's still going to have, there's still good that can come from it. There there absolutely is. And it's just like, you know, we, we're not born great mothers. We become yeah. great mothers. Right. And so I am always becoming <laughs> like, I'm, I am constantly in a metamorphosis process in, I feel like not daily, but I would say every 12 to 18 months I am changing as a mom. And 
just because my boys, their needs are changing constantly. And please, you know, anyone that has tiny, tiny kids, you included, please don't let that like overwhelm me. It's not a bad thing if you accept it. It's kind of like getting on a roller coaster ride and instead of being like, oh, I hate roller coasters, being like, I love roller coasters and just being like, okay, there's going to be ups and downs. And once I accepted that, it's like, oh, here we go. Another little up and down. I was ready yeah. for it. And it's so, that way in life though. Like mm -hmm. that is life. We put this pressure on ourselves mm -hmm. as moms, forgetting that that's not how we put the pressure on ourselves for life in general. Like we don't look at ourselves as 20 year olds and go, all right, who I am now is also who 40 year old me is going to be. And I I should really have it all. I mean, <laughs> like I, I got to figure, figure it all out right now. It's like, we kind of understand, okay, there's a journey and some things it's impossible to predict. And it's impossible to know exactly how everything's going to go and exactly how we'll react or what to do. And we know, okay, we have to give some grace here because there's unknowns in the path ahead and we're going to figure it out and we're, it's a journey. So gosh, as moms, especially when you're dealing with someone who's another human being and not just your own personal self. Yeah. It's going to be a journey and you're going to figure it out and you're going to do great. Yes. Yes. It, it's keeping your eye on the prize there. And that yeah. like, there will be a day you won't remember weeping about a lot of these things you won't. And the irony of it with like bringing it to postpartum and baby blues is your postpartum depression, it's riddled with love. Like it wouldn't bother you if you didn't love your kids and you do love your kids. And so then we get in there and we just, we tweak some things and we get a mom feeling better. And I watch them get strong. And it's truly, I mean, other than being a mom, the most fulfilling moments of my life are watching a mom being like, you know, I'm doing okay. I got this, you know, and watching that healing happen. It's like, wow, God, this is yeah. really, really stinking cool. Yeah. Okay. I feel like there are kind of two mom camps on social media. One that says that you have 18 summers with your kids. They're only little ones. Every moment is precious. You'll blink and you'll miss it. Like just dive in, embrace it all. Put yourself on the back burner. This time is for them. You'll wish you could have it back when it's gone. So like put your focus there. And then there's the other that kind of says like, you're more than a mom. You're your own self too. Don't lose mm -hmm. yourself in motherhood. Foster your own hobbies, foster your own passions. Personally, I feel like both things can be and are true. Like this is a big both and here. Like you can both want to soak up every single second possibly that you can and really be in the moment of childhood and also take care of your own needs and make sure you're not lost, quote, end quote, along the way. So where I'd love to hear where you kind of see those two camps meeting, what you think they kind of look like in practice, because my money is on this being this sort of sacred struggle for so many mamas that kind of always leaves us feeling a little bit guilty in one way or the other, like going back to thinking, okay, am I doing enough here? Am I doing enough there? Kind of like, all right, am I, am I in it enough? Am I not in it enough? Am I caring about myself too little, too much? Like, where is that middle ground in your, from your perspective? Okay. I'll that's, I think the best question anyone's ever asked me on a podcast. Whoa. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I mean, that's because if that's not so true and how, when I see those reels on either camp, yep. I usually cringe Yeah, and, and I don't know why, and you just identified it. And so by the way, thank you. I really, <laughs> really, really hope, I really hope everyone keeps listening to this. Okay. So 
I am, you know, an expert on child development. I am an expert on mental health and I've been doing this over 20 years. Okay. This whole, uh, I don't know, the old lady in Target when I was like crying, when my baby was screaming and I'm trying to like, they're throwing things out of the cart. And she, I remember old lady being like, you're going to miss this someday. And I wanted to shake her. I mean, I do not, you know, condone physical violence, but I wanted <laughs> to smack her. Okay. Because I thought I'm still, I've been bleeding for six weeks. I am like falling apart. I don't know the last time I brushed my teeth. Don't you dare tell me that I'm going to miss this. Okay. Do I miss and, and see the memories of my babies pop up and I miss their little, oh my gosh, I miss like their little waddle and the way their legs would jiggle. And I do miss some of that, but I also don't, I also don't. So I am trying to foster relationships with my boys to where they're always going to want to go to the beach with me and they're going to be so excited to have, you know, weekends with me. I hope they'll be semi close by to where we can spend, you know, time together, meet me for lunch when they're grown someday. Or I love hanging out with my mom and she doesn't live local, but we're going to go see her this weekend at the beach. We're going to like that relationship doesn't end when they turn 18. And and my hope is, and I tell them this, and I, I pray for this, that they're going to want, and that their, their wives and their girlfriends will want to be around me. And that I'll make really good food. And I'd love to maybe, my dream is to like, maybe have a little mountain place or something where we can gather, where they can go and they can bring their friends. And that doesn't end when they're 18. So that whole 18 summer things is is a little, it's true, but it's a little cringy because I'm like, I, I still hang out with my mom in the summer. We yeah. still, I love hanging out with my in-laws. They live actually eight miles from my door. We, we love hanging out with them. So yes, but no. Because th that kind of pressure, I just, I don't think it's super healthy. So like, where can we be in the middle of like, yeah, like, obviously I work, I work a couple of jobs, if you will, but my boys are absolutely my priority. You know, I have my own practice. I've, you know, I'm a speaker, I'm promoting my book, all of that, but my boys are my priority. And so I don't like putting that kind of pressure on it of like, soak this up, enjoy this. So I've put numbers on it and I, I heard a parenting expert one time speaking that said, you know, it's, it's, it may sound too small, but putting a number to saying with each of our kids having that 15 to 20 minute meaningful interaction every single day. Now I'm with my children a lot more than 20 minutes a day, but I might be cooking or helping them with homework, or I might be, you know, helping them whatever, tie their shoes. But that, you know, time at night where I lay down with them or read to them or that time that, you know, we go on a walk together or we go to an event together and we just talk. My focus is on making sure I have like that like one-on-one -on -one meaningful interaction with them every single day. I know that's hard, maybe with the baby, because you're just, they're constantly on you, but we're, we're bonding. And so, yes, it, it needs to be both. And I do go back to my Proverbs 31 woman, which, you know, I know it's a little bit cliche, but my girl worked, but her priority was also her home and her lamps never went out at night. She actually had a couple businesses. She had a winery and she sold scarves in the market. And so that example, a pretty big chunk of a book of the Bible is given to us for a reason. And so, and that doesn't mean you have to work. It doesn't mean 
that you have to give every ounce of yourself to your child, I think it's healthy for children to know that our identity isn't solely in them because the pressure they feel the moment they go off to college or get married. I have seen that in my clients and it's heartbreaking. Mm. I grew up with a mom that worked. She was a teacher and she also um, worked in um, grant writing at NC State University. And she was the president of the staff Senate, but I was very much her priority too. And so I saw her be like that girl boss, but also knew that like she put her phone down. She would walk out of her office for me just like that. And so why can't it be both? And so why, you know, why does it have to be one way or the other? And because it is so polarizing. And for me, it is cringy because I just don't think either one's the answer. And guilting moms with the whole 18 summers things or like the the jar, God bless you. If you did the jar with the marbles where it's like, you only get this many days with your child. I'm like, stop. Because I believe both of my boys are have accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior. So I'm going to have eternity with them which is very freeing. That's fully what I believe. A lot of people don't realize that because like, oh, we don't want to think about that, but someday I'm going to be with them for forever. And I really want to foster a relationship where they know they're not my entire identity. They're a big part of it. They're probably the biggest part of it other than my faith. And to me, it's just that balance is what I think is biblical, but it's also what I think is emotionally the healthiest way to be. Yeah. You know what? And thinking back to, I'm also super close with my mom and I know she's listening to this right now. <laughs> and I, I could tell you like a lot of good memories from growing up and she always was totally on top of it as a mom did the most, but probably maybe this is recency bias, but some of my best memories with her are me as an adult with her and our grown up relationship. And I haven't been in the house with her for a very long time, but I probably have more meaningful connections now because I see her weekly and I call her every single day and we text all the time. So it's like, now that, now that it's a relationship where both of us are able to put into it, if that makes sense. And it's not just because she's my mom and I live in her house that we're connecting, but it's because I'm a grown up and I just love her so much and she's my best friend and I'm still going to be reaching out all the time because we've created that kind of relationship. I don't know if I was her, I'd be patting myself on the back for that one. The fact that I'm <laughs> out of her house and still don't leave her alone. She's probably like, Erica, can you like not FaceTime me three times a day? Thanks so much. <laughs> so like that's, I'm like, that's, that's impressive. If you raise kids who are past the 18 year mark and they want to hang out with you because they love you so much as, as that relationship too. It doesn't have to, I think you just hit the nail on the head. It absolutely does not have to end after 18 summers. No, it doesn't. And I love, yeah. like, I was just texting with my in-laws and like, Hey, we haven't gotten together in forever. It's been such a busy summer. When are we hanging out? Or, you know, like we love being together. Like my husband mm -hmm. loves his siblings. He loves his parents. Like, I mean, not, nothing, I mean, everybody of course has, there's always some sort of strain in every family that's normal, but if you work hard to just love your child well, the prayer is that they'll want to be with you. And I still, you know, I text and talk to my mom almost every day, if not more than once a day. And I call her about everything. And if anything, just like you said, I have so many good memories of her after, you know, especially when I went to college, it was like, oh, mom, I need you every hour of every day. Yes. <laughs> I really need you. And 
I need you, especially like in motherhood. I talk a lot about her in my book because I really needed her. My mom's a writer as well and a very, very gifted one. And so with that, I love what you had to say about you and your mom, because it just, I don't think it's 18 summers. I just don't. And I think, yes, do, you know, enjoy, you know, squishing their little feet when they're so little and just enjoy, soak it in, but it it does go by fast, but so does life and Mm -hmm. yeah, enjoy it. And, and, um, I think I would rather say, um, instead of enjoy this, I would say, just find some joy in those moments and just kind of take those mental pictures and just write down some memories but at the end of the day, life goes by really fast. Yeah. And I, I miss those days, but I also don't like, I, I really love that I can travel with my kids now and I can turn my back on them and they're not going to get stolen. And like, you know, in general, like the general, like I can actually, they can be upstairs and I can get things done downstairs now. And I'm like, my mind is blown. You know, they're pretty self-sufficient. They put on their own clothes. They bathe themselves. I mean, life is pretty great. And yeah, we're about kind of in that teenage angst with my older son, but it's kind of great too, because I'm able to support him in a way that maybe a lot of moms don't know how to do. And so I don't know, 18 summers. It's not, it's not 18 summers. It can be more. And I'm just really actively praying that, that, and I tell them all the time, like, I will love whoever you date, I will love her. I will, as long as she's nice to you, as long as she loves Jesus. And as long as you care about her, I will love her no matter how different we are. If we have different beliefs, whatever, like I will love her if she's nice to you and loves Jesus, no matter what, because I know that's going to be, because I boys, you know, I really just want to make sure that their partners just get along with me. And with that, they'll, they'll come back. They'll come back home. Yeah. Something you just mentioned too, is like finding joy in the season that you are in with them. And I feel like we don't always talk about the fact that it is okay to not enjoy every single second of motherhood or every single stage of motherhood. Cause like you said, when people are like, Oh, it'll go by so fast. And you're in the middle of managing a tantrum or like all of your hair is falling out from postpartum hair loss. Cause hello, that is where I am at right now. Yes, like, You're like, man, I actually am not going to miss this and I'm not enjoying it, but there are other things of this stage that I absolutely do love and enjoy, but you're allowed to like love not keeping up with their 32 demands to, of like imaginative play or to be riding the struggle bus for most of age four, like we were with our oldest daughter. So for, for you and from your perspective, what are some suggestions for finding that joy and making the stage of motherhood that you are in more enjoyable, like genuinely enjoyable versus just tolerable or just something that you're just like getting through to bedtime or just trying to like pray and wait until the next stage comes. If there's, if there's any sort of like professional expert therapist advice for the moms who are like, yep, can't wait till bedtime tonight. Mm-hmm. I think we all look forward to bedtime because we're just mm-hmm. tired. And I, I still look forward to, especially when homework is done and they've had their showers, I've tucked them in, then I can just be and veg and just, you know, sit on Instagram or I can like basically text memes back to you. You're now in that group. <laughs> you just be like this motherhood meme back and forth yeah. or, or I can just goof off a little bit. And 
and have the house be quiet. We all look forward to that. That's fine. But yes, and, and so instead of enjoying motherhood, finding joy in motherhood is, are very different things um, because finding joy in those moments, my little hack has been, I remember when they were little because they're boys and I'm the girliest girl on the planet and sitting and it's like, how long, how many years am we going to play with monster trucks and trains? <laughs> I am so bored. I don't want to do this. So then I, I started realizing that I needed to play with them. No, I, I would play some cars with them and sword fights and all that. But I also started doing activities with them that I like to do. Like I like to garden. I like to cook, which I know that's a new development. I was never that girl a few years ago, but now for some reason, I like learning to make bread in a cast iron skillet or I like, I don't know, it's weird. And so my boys come and the moment they were old enough to like get their little stool out and come over and like help me make cookies, even if we threw out half of them because I knew I'd eat them all or whatever it might be. Like I make pickles. I, I started doing some things with them that I liked. And my favorite time with my babies when they're babies was bath time. And I love water. I'm, I'm basically a mermaid. Like I love being in water around water. And so, you know, when, when they were little, like little babies, sometimes they would get like two baths a day. And sometimes it was just warm water. There was no soap because I didn't want to dry their skin out because I liked bath time. And it, I had this weird thing. For some reason, my babies both loved having their diaper changed. And that's when they were super cute and they would kick. And you know how they get that one leg, they kick their happy leg. And oh yeah, so I just did a lot. I realized I'm like, why am I just doing what they want to do? We can do that a lot. But then I now, and have from the moment they're about two or three, I do what I love because my husband does that. Like he loves to go fishing. He loves to go, um, he's big into hiking and, and camping and all that stuff. So he brings our kids in on what he loves, at least half of our time with them. And then the other half, we do what they want to do. Man, that was a game changer. And some people might say that's selfish. And I'm like, you just wait. You know, God bless you if you find joy in only playing toy trains with your kids. But like, I found that I, I have a lot more fun, like coloring with them or like building Lego sets. Like that's a lot more fun for me. And so I just started doing what I wanted to do and teaching them things that I love. Cause like, I love music. I sing, like singing with them was really fun. So what would it look like for a mom to be like, no, like half the time we're going to teach them a skill that I love and that that's okay. Yeah. And honestly, I think we show up better as moms and as people when our, when we're actually enjoying it too. And your kids kind of can pick up on that. So like they can pick up on if you have just a really annoyed look on your face or like, you're not fully paying attention. You're not really in it. You're not focused. But like they're going to get to an age where they pick up on that and uh -huh. you don't want them. <clears throat> like, I always just think like, man, I don't want to be the person that my daughter learns that from, that she learns what it feels like to not have someone want to play with her when, and it's from her mom. Like I'd much rather be doing something that we can both be having fun. Where like, that's the memory was we were having fun together. We were laughing together. We were smiling. We were singing along together. Like it was just something where you can still find ways to connect with them. And you can, like you said, we're not saying don't ever do the thing that they want to do. Like you're going to, you're going to be playing monster trucks at some point, <laughs> <laughs> yep. but it doesn't have to be 
the one soul activity and the one type of play and the one way that you're connecting with your kid. You can absolutely introduce other ways. And I mean, hey, you're raising boys who know how to cook and bake and do all these things. That's going to be appreciated someday by <laughs> by whoever they're dating. Let me tell you. Oh, yeah. No. And and I'm I'm big about that because I just think like. I don't know. I think that we all need to learn to be an adult and that's just part of life is, is knowing some basic, you know, cooking and cleaning skills. They also, we do lots of very boy things too, but, but with that, they, they get excited to see like, watch, let's go look at the cucumbers. How are they growing today? Or like, let's taste the pickles and let's put must let's like put mustard seed and make these, these spicy. And they've gotten, we, we watched like the master chef, um, like kids with them and like watch the bake-offs and all of that. And it's just something that we have in common. We also watch football. Like we also watch things that they want to watch too, but it's just a combination of, I realized I don't have to just only do what they like. I can also slowly introduce them to what I like to do. And that started from the time they were really, they were really little babies. I was like, I like bath time. You're getting two baths a day, even though it's just nice warm water without soap, because I don't want to dry your little skin out, but you're happy in the bath and I'm happy sitting here giving you a bath. I love giving baths. And, but I, I don't miss it because I gave them lots of baths and I have lots of photos and, and memories of that. And once in a while, I do miss them being little and like the little cheeks and all that stuff. But you know, the, the fact that they have grown is evidence that I'm doing my job as a mother and I'm, you know, keeping them alive and keeping them safe and they're growing to be healthy. And so the fact that they're growing, that's, that's sign that you're doing your job as a mom. So, yeah, I love that. Well, Rach, last question for you. We ask everybody to close out the show, which is what does thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? Doesn't just have to be related to being a mom either. This could be like just Rachel. Okay. So how do I strive to thrive and what does thrive mean to me? So for me, thriving is never stopping moving. And so my kind of, I don't like to say mantra, but kind of my jam is something is better than nothing. And so if I just do squats and I don't have time for a workout, I'm like, well, something's better than, better than nothing. Or if I just make one healthy choice, if I don't have time to do like a Bible study, if I read just the verse of the day, something is better than nothing. Because standing still is the worst place to be. And even physically, like we just know kind of the use it or lose it mentality of moving our bodies, moving our minds. Something is better than nothing. I wish I had time to read all the books that I want to read, but I listen to audiobooks. I wish I had time to do all the workouts that I'd like to do, but I do a lot of little at home, like, you know, on all the apps. So I'll do like a 20 minute workout. Something's better than nothing. So we start somewhere. And that's why I say we start with like our 15 minute bonding moments with our kids, because we've got to start somewhere. And so that's how I thrive is 15 minutes at a time. Because for me, two hour things, two hour changes, it's just, it's too much. It's too much of a pill to swallow. And so think small and you'll earn big because that's how we thrive in this life. Love that. That's so good. That's so, so good. Tell everybody where they can find you online to connect with you more and also where they can, of course, grab a copy of your book. 
You got it. So you can find me. Um, I'm at Rachel Hunt Elmore on Instagram. You can also, all my links are at www.rachelelmore.com. I always have to say you spell my name R-A-C-H-A-E-L, or you will not be able to find me. If it's not E-L, it's R-A-C-H-A-E-L. So I'm rachelelmore.com. I'm obviously on Facebook, all of, all of those things. And so my book is available. I think everywhere books are sold. Obviously it's on Amazon. I also have an audio book that was really exciting because I got to read it. So they didn't hire an actress. They let me read it. And the audiobook is really nice, especially a, a lot of moms have been saying it's just nice to be able to listen to a chapter while they're doing feedings. So I do encourage that as well, but it's called A Mom is Born. Again, my name is Rachel and please just connect with me on social media, DM me, let me know how I can serve you. I do a lot of Instagram lives, a lot of courses, and I just Again, I can't see every client out there that needs to be seen, but I can give them this treatment plan. And so, you know, it's it's really cool to give someone 10 years of my career in a book for like 17 bucks. So please just want to encourage that. And um, I'm just so thankful to get to be here today. What a cool podcast. I just love this conversation. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.